Focus on Headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our Friday reporters in Changana and Hong Seung-yeon. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening to you guys. A uh, news that we've been covering and following up on since yesterday, uh, shortly before our program kicked off. Uh, I was giving you guys the breaking news on PPP representative and lawmaker uh, Peon Jin, who mm-hmm. uh, was attacked in the head by a stone. Uh, this was a 15-year-old middle school student, uh, Pei, who had been bleeding, and I believe uh, she did get stitched up. She was transported uh, to a nearby hospital, the Sunchenyang University Hospital. Mm-hmm. She received first aid. Currently being monitored, she is in stable condition, luckily, and the attacker also has been hospitalized for mental issues mm-hmm. after an interrogation under the presence of his guardians. Uh, Hannah, let's get the latest details of this. Sure. Now, as mentioned, the, sp- uh, the suspect was reportedly a male student in his second year of middle school, and police transferred him to the Gangnam Police Station to investigate the circumstances of the incident and the motive for the crime in the presence of his guardian. Now, Pei was attacked in the back of her head by a suspect who lunged at her from the entrance of a building in Shinsadong. Gangnam District at 5.20 p.m. yesterday. Now, the attacker hit her with a stone that is equivalent to the size of an adult's fist, according to Pei's office. Now, the attack left Pei with a one-centimeter gash on her scalp. And the police, who were called to the scene by a citizen, quickly apprehended the attacker and took him to the police station. And according to Pei's office, the attacker confirmed Pei's identity by asking twice, you're Peonjin, right? Before the assault. And according to C CCTV footage released by Pei's office and aides, the lawmaker was alone in the building when she encountered the suspect. Uh, the attacker was wearing a gray hat, white mask, hoodie, and a jumper, and he approached Pei first and spoke to her, who in turn approached to him to say hello. And suddenly, the assailant began hitting Pei over the head with a stone in his right hand, and Pei held her head, but the assailant didn't stop, continuing to punch her in the back of the head 15 times in a about 10 seconds until bystanders stopped him. Now, the assailant reportedly did not leave and continued to watch the lawmaker until police arrived. And during this process, he claimed to be 15 years old and talked about the law-breaching minor, which refers to juvenile offenders between the ages of 10 and 14, who are criminal minors under uh, Article 9 of the Criminal Code in Korea. And those who fall under this age cannot be held criminally responsible for their actions. Instead of criminal punishment, the family court may impose protective measures to reduce the likelihood of reoffending, such as sending them to juvenile detention or placing them on probation. The Pei, who bled after the attack, was taken to a hospital in Seoul, the Sunchonhyangde uh, University uh, Hospital for Emergency Treatment. Now, again, there's a lot of questions in regards to this. Uh, again, I don't encourage any of our listeners to see the uh, CCTV footages that's been released. It is very graphic, and you can kind of tell uh, Peon Jin coming out from a building uh, by herself, and she turns around, and you can almost kind of uh, see her smile. I think because, again, the perpetrator had asked if she was mm-hmm. Peon Jin. Uh, that's when, as soon as she said yes, is that uh, he pulls out the, the rock from his uh, pocket. And, of course, the CCTV cameras, uh, the footage is by law, cannot have sound. Mm. Uh, and so it seems like because of the sound of screaming from the PPP lawmaker that people, uh, you had uh, some of the uh, the people within the building 
open the door and come out and uh, assist her. And uh, I, if, again, they were saying that the student, uh, the middle school student had mental issues, uh, was not faring well uh, mm-hmm. at the uh, school also. Uh, I believe the parents came out saying, uh, well, the perpetrator had come out saying that he was supposed to be meeting a doctor or something like that and get services. But why was he by himself is the big question mm-hmm. here if he is a minor. But the shocking thing here, and we have to kind of uh, look into, the, the police are further investigating this incident to see whether or not it is politically motivated, right? Because they're saying it was by mistake. But if it is, it's yet another politician that has been attacked. Because if you remember at the beginning of this month, at the beginning of the year, mm. we had a DP chairman, uh, Lee Jae-myung, uh, attacked in the southeastern port city of Busan. Mm, that's right. Now, the ruling and opposition parties have unanimously condemned yet another attack on a politician. They also called for a thorough investigation by the authorities and said that this was an opportunity to put an end to hateful crimes targeted toward politicians. Now, the president's office issued a separate statement later last night saying that this incident is unacceptable and must be thoroughly investigated, while Prime Minister Han Dok-su issued an urgent directive on the recurrence of political terrorism, saying that terrorism against politicians ahead of the general election is a serious criminal act that shakes the foundations of democracy and must never be tolerated. He also ordered the police to ensure the safety of lawmakers and and other key figures. The People Power Party chief spokesperson said in a statement that we are gravely concerned by yet another outbreak of violence and political terrorism in these turbulent times of extreme politics and the politics of hate. Meanwhile, the DPK also criticized the attack in a briefing, saying that the recent incident is an at- attack of at- act of political terrorism and an attack on democracy that was committed while the culprit knew exactly what he was doing and on whom he was committing the crime. Yeah, and that's again the big question, right? Because the rival parties Mm -hmm. have come out jointly condemning uh, sort of this political hatred that we've been seeing uh, leading up to the general elections. But according to at least the police investigation interrogation that happened before he was taken to a mental ward uh, is that it was by quote-unquote mistake. Not mistake as in like I didn't mean to attack her and I did, uh, but it was he was supposed to be on his way to the hospital and it was just a random attack and something just kind of hit and it happened. But again, then why do you ask whether or not you're Payeon Jin, right? A, a mm-hmm. typical 15, you could ask a typical 15 year old and you go, do you know who Payeon Jin is? So a very good chance that nine out of 10 of them, uh, nine out of 10 will not know who Payeon Jin mm-hmm. is. I mean, they, they don't care about politics, right? But for him to be asking that, there is some evidence to show maybe there was some political motivation to this. But of course, again, uh, we'll We'll see what the police say after further interrogating him uh, after I believe uh, it's the by law he has to be put in uh, the mental hospital for three days I believe maximum of three days and then he can be released and once he is released under the guardian consent the police can continue to investigate the matter here let's move on here the serious accidents punishment act is said to be expanded to apply to small businesses with 50 employees or less this starting from saturday as uh, rival parties fail to reach an agreement on thursday on deferring uh, the plan and uh, extending the grace period uh, so again, let's get more on this sure the serious accidents punishment act holds employers liable for serious industrial accidents and employers could face at least one year in prison or fines up to 1 billion won, and that's around 
749,000 US dollars in the event of a fatal workplace accident. So the government previously gave a grace period to companies with fewer than 50 employees, which account for roughly 80% of all serious incidents. And earlier, President Yoon Seok-yeol, uh, Labor Minister Lee Jung-sik, and Finance Minister Choi Sang-mok urged the National Assembly to pass a revised bill that would provide an additional two-year grace period for small businesses, urging opposing parties to sit down and negotiate a way to mitigate the law's impact on small business owners. Uh, now, Korea's business sector has expressed concern that uh, small enterprises are unprepared for the law, uh, saying that if the act which severely penalizes business owners is implemented, concerns about business shutdowns and employee, uh, employee layoffs will become a reality. And uh, meanwhile, the labor minister Lee Jung-sik spoke on a briefing on Thursday that the government would swiftly, swiftly carry out the plan uh, that was announced on December 27th last year. This is called the Measures to Support Business Vulnerable to Fatal Accidents. And under this plan, the government will provide a total of 1.5 trillion won to strengthen safety management for small businesses. Again, uh, it is the, uh, I guess, the labor unions that are celebrating the decision on this because they're saying, well, it can't only protect uh, those that work in major conglomerates. And also, we have a large number of people who also work in these small and medium-sized businesses. And we also have to be protected, and especially uh, small and mid-sized businesses is what they're saying because of, I guess, the smaller budget that they may have. And with the smaller budget, they might be a little bit lenient on some of the safety issues was the argument they've been using. But uh, President Yoon, on the other hand, said mm -hmm. on Friday that he strongly regrets the irresponsible behaviors of the opposition party that what he said neglected the difficulties of small and medium-sized enterprises and the people. Uh, this after the Serious Accident Punishment Act failed to reach the agreement from the rival parties. Hannah, let's get more on this. Sure. Now, earlier on Thursday, President Yoon urged lawmakers to do their best to pass the revision on the Serious Accidents Punishment Act during the plenary session today. And in a message through a presidential spokesperson saying that, while there is no doubt that a worker's safety should always come above all else, we also need to consider the struggles that 830,000 small business owners and those in the small to medium-sized enterprises are going through. However, as the ruling and opposition parties failed to reach an agreement, the proposed revision, which would extend the grace period for an additional two years, could not make it to the National Assembly's plenary session on Thursday. And as a result, about 837,000 small businesses, including local mom-and-pop stores, will be newly subjected to the rule starting this Saturday, and some 8 million employees will be affected. Now, both parties are shifting the blame as the ruling PPP points fingers at the opposition DP for making small business owners who are struggling to make ends meet even more vulnerable, while the DP blames the PPP as well as the government for not being prepared for the expiration of the grace period beforehand. Now, Korea's major business lobbies expressed their strong disappointment after the proposal for the revision fell through. Now, Yoon went on to instruct all rele relevant government ministries, including the Ministry of Employment and Labor, to minimize disruptions and side effects at industrial sites due to the implementation of the act. 
Yun also stressed that the government should take necessary support measures for SMEs whose survival is threatened. DP floor leader Hong Yikpyo said on Friday that the government and the ruling party have been wasting away for the past two years and are just asking for a suspension without any sense of responsibility. He said that the DPK laid out three conditions from the beginning regarding the grace period. And the second condition was that they bring a concrete plan every quarter on how they are going to prepare and fund the next two years. He added the government has a choice now, which is to either listen to DPK's demands or act quickly to minimize disruption on the ground. We'll move on to other issues here. Uh, back in 2019, uh, Yang Seng-te, the former Supreme Court Chief Justice, uh, he was arrested uh, over uh, what they're saying is uh, abusive power. Uh, incident. I believe he was charged with 40 or so different cases, uh, charges, all mostly stemming through a judicial uh, abuse of power. Now, at the time, he became the first former Supreme Court chief to be arrested. And uh, we had the first trial on Friday. Uh, the court ruled uh, that uh, what he did was not recognized as an abuse of power. Uh, this is a very complicated issue here that, again, goes back uh, all the way till the previous uh, Park Geun-hye administration. But, uh, Singyeon, uh, tell us more about this case. Sure. Uh, prosecutors had demanded a seven-year prison sentence for former Supreme Court Chief Justice Yang Seung-tae on charges of unfairly influencing politically uh, sensitive trials under ousted former President Park Geun-hye. And it took nearly four years and 11 months to have a first trial on Friday. Yang, who headed the top court from 2011 to 17, was accused of having used uh, trials as bargaining chips in dealings with the park administration to promote his bid to establish a court of appeals. And he was also suspected of having pressed subordinates at the National Court Administration, which is the top court's governing body, to devise plans to influence uh, politically sensitive trials for park, including a compensation suit pursued by victims of Japan's wartime forced labor. Uh, now, prosecutors had previously demanded the Seoul Central District Court sentence the former chief justice to seven years in prison and accused Yang of seriously breaching his duties as a judge by meddling in trials. Let's move on to other issues. Uh, we've certainly been seeing a lot of activity on the Korean Peninsula, but uh, as uh, we talked about with uh, a number of our experts, it does seem that uh, while North Korea and Russia is uh, certainly improving their bilateral relations. Things are a little bit uh, ambiguous with China. Well, all of that uh, was cleared out uh, as uh, KCNA, the Korean Central News Agency, uh, reported that Chinese Vice Foreign Minister Sun Wei-dong actually visited North Korea mm -hmm. with a Chinese delegation. Hannah, let's get the details of this. Sure. Soon is expected to meet with North Korean officials to discuss ways to advance relations between China and North Korea, which celebrated the 75th anniversary of diplomatic relations this year. And it will be interesting to see how China, which has been more distant from North Korea than Russia, will proceed. Soon met with North Korean Vice Foreign Minister Pang Myung-ho last month in Beijing, where they discussed strengthening bilateral ties and coordinating over unspecified issues of common 
common interest. Park then also met uh, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi as they pledged to expand friendly exchanges and strengthen strategic cooperation in 2024 as the countries mark their 75th anniversary of establishing bilateral ties. Now, the talks may also include a discussion of North Korea's recent change in strategy toward South Korea. And it is also possible that Park will share the details of the 8th Central Committee of the Workers' Party of Korea held last year and hear what China thinks of it. This raises the possibility that Soon may pay a courtesy visit to North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. And meanwhile, the Chinese Foreign Ministry delegation appears to have arrived in Pyongyang via a land route uh, connecting Tandung, China and Shinjuku, North Korea, instead of flying between Beijing and Pyongyang. This is likely a reflection of the fact that the skies between the two countries are far from fully normalized. North Korea, which had closed its borders uh, during the pandemic, gradually eased the blockade and resumed Beijing-Pyongyang flights in August last year. However, it is reportedly only utilizing them for limited purposes, such as returning North Korean workers to China. In the meantime, a U.S. think tank report said on Thursday that North Korea could resort to nuclear weapons in a crisis more easily as it is uh, significantly pro- making significant progress towards implementing a more robust nuclear strategy. Uh, Singyan, uh, tell us more about this think tank's uh, report. Sure. The Conservative Heritage Foundation released a 2024 index of U.S. military strength, which includes a study of threats from North Korea, China, Iran, and Russia, as well as terrorism threats from the Middle East and North Africa. So the report, referring to the North as a perennial concern in Asia, delves into the North's military capabilities, which is uh, which it claimed are not on the same existential scale as a threat presented by China or Russia, but threatened to undermine not only regional security, but also the U.S. homeland. Now, the report reads, uh, the increasing rate and diversity of uh, North Korea's missile launches shows that Pyongyang is making significant progress toward implementing a more capable and flexible nuclear strategy including preemptive strikes with strategic, tactical, and battlefield nuclear weapons. Also saying that during a crisis, the threshold for the use of nuclear weapons could therefore be breached more easily. Now, despite international criticism, Pyongyang has increased its nuclear and missile programs as seen by recent missile tests, including a solid-fuel intermediate-range ballistic missile with a hypersonic warhead and strategic cruise missiles. Now, we have to kind of stress that this is a conservative think tank, which means that they're going to be very hawkish towards uh, North Korea uh, issues, which also means that they're going to sort of loosely say uh, mentioned the possibility of a nuclear strike by North Korea. Now, if you talk to a lot of the uh, North Korean experts, it would be foolish for Pyongyang to preemptively strike any country, this including South Korea, the U.S. and Japan and so forth, with nuclear weapons because it will indeed mean the end of the North Korean regime. And right now, what it seems like, again, I mentioned that North Korea seemed to have learned a whole lot from this ongoing war in Ukraine because while the war is going on in Ukraine, remember, not a lot is going in within Russia. And the reason for that is Russia has over a thousand nuclear warheads and nuclear weapons, right? And, and, and it's not even like they're going to use this, 
they're not going to be using these nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. It's an active way of deterrence. And so for North Korea to have nuclear weapons, they're basically going, do not mess with us because they're actually legitimately scared that there might be some sort of invasion where they're going to actually get attacked, right? That's what they're afraid of because they saw what happened with like Muhammad Gaddafi, right? And so they're going, the only way that I'm going to protect myself is by continuously threatening that I'm going to be using my nuclear weapons, but he's not going to use it because what he wants to have is hold on to that power as long as possible and using nuclear weapons does not equal to him uh, continuously ruling over North Korea. But again, I do want to mention that because this is a conservative think tank, but the report also warned that increased North Korean nuclear capabilities might weaken the efficiency of existing ally military plans and, uh, heightened growing worries among U.S. allies about uh, Washington's willingness to risk a nuclear attack to defend them. So what is this even about? Uh, so according to the report, a more survivable uh, nuclear force could lead North Korea to conclude that it has immunity uh, from any international response and therefore act even more belligerently and use nuclear threats to coerce Seoul to, into accepting regime demands. And uh, the regime could use threats of nuclear attack to force Tokyo to deny U.S. forces ex access to Japanese bases, ports, and airfields during a Korean conflict. Now, Pyongyang might also assume that conditions for military action had become favorable if it believed that the U.S. extended deterrence guarantee had been undermined. And the report also took note of weaknesses of the North Korean military, like its outdated weapon system for uh, ground forces saying that its naval and air forces would not be expected to last long in a conflict with South Korea and the U.S., but they would have to be accounted for in uh, any defense by South Korea. Uh, not only that, the report also mentioned that Pyongyang's ground forces are largely equipped with older weapons, but they also are extensive and forward deployed. And thousands of artillery systems deployed near the demilitarized zone could inflict uh, devastating damage on South Korea, especially Seoul, before Allied forces could attrate them. Yeah, again, I mean, that's the big thing, right? Uh, the capital Seoul is a lot closer to the DMZ than Pyongyang is to DMZ. And so uh, we talk about how if there is an attack by North Korea, that there's like all these sheltering measures in place. And uh, the big joke that uh, all my friends, Korean friends tell me is, hey, let me know when uh, Americans are evacuating you so uh, we could get a head start as well. But we do have an evacuation place in place. I mean, they, they tell us where to go, but it's, it's not going to be enough time to evacuate mm -hmm. once they do start attacking here. But again, going back here, North Korea is just simply trying to go, as long as we have a whole lot of nuclear weapons and a whole lot of missile technology, that they're going to get start, start getting scared. And then, then that's when they can start making deals here. And that deal is lifting sanctions and just accept us as a nuclear state. Leave us alone. We're not going to attack anybody, but we're going to have these nuclear weapons so that it makes sure that no one is going to try to come into North Korea and take over the power that I have. But uh, obviously, the U.S. and many uh, Western allies, including including uh, South Korea, don't agree with the idea of uh, North Korea being a nuclear state. And there is absolutely no way that I think the United States will accept North Korea being a nuclear state. Uh, also, Seoul's foreign ministry said on Friday that South Korea's top nuclear envoy met with senior UN officials on human rights and uh, foreign ambassadors in Geneva uh, discussed North Korea's nuclear and human rights issues. Hannah, let's get the details of this.
this. Sure. Now, in a meeting on Thursday local time with uh, Nada Al Nashif, uh, acting UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Kim Gon highlighted the need for a comprehensive approach to deal with the North Korea's nuclear and human rights issues. Kim explained to the commissioner that uh, South Korea's efforts to build international solidarity to shed light on the North Korea's human rights situation and induce a change in Pyongyang's behavior. Kim asked for support from the Office of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights to raise awareness of the North Korean human rights issues in the international community. North Korea's serious human rights violations gained the international limelight on the back of the landmark report by the UN Commission of Inquiry released in 2014. The report said that North Korean leaders are responsible for widespread systematic and gross violations of human rights and the International Criminal Court should take up the issue as crimes against humanity. North Korea has long been accused of grave human rights abuses, ranging from holding political prisoners in concentration camps to committing torture and carrying out public executions. However, North Korea claims its people are freely enjoying genuine human rights. Following the meeting with El Nashif, Kim held a roundtable with foreign diplomats in Geneva for discussions on the latest situation on the Korean Peninsula and North Korea's human rights problems. Ambassadors from 14 countries took part in the session, including the United States, Japan, Chile, uh, Canada, Costa Rica, Australia, and New Zealand. North Korea claiming its people are freely enjoying mm-hmm. genuine human rights uh, yes. might be the most exaggerated statement mm. uh, to come from North Korea in recent years here. Uh, let's move on to some international news, more on the U.S. economy this time. Uh, the U.S., uh, the Commerce Department released its uh, fourth quarter 2023 uh, GDP figures here. It does seem like, uh, surprisingly, uh, I guess, uh, surpassing the expectations from the Wall Street consensus. Uh, it did have a faster than Uh, expected growth uh, towards the end of 2023. They also saw some low employment numbers. They are seeing that inflation is also cooling. Uh, Singyan, obviously positive figures coming out from the United States. Let's get more on this. Sure. According to the U.S. Commerce Department on Thursday, GDP adjusted for inflation grew at a 3.3% annual rate in the fourth quarter. And it was down from 4.9% in the third quarter, but it easily topped the economist's forecast, demonstrating the resilience of the recovery from the pandemic's economic disruption. Now, forecasters predicted that the Federal Reserve's aggressive campaign of interest rate rises in 2023 would send the economy into reverse. But instead, growth has accelerated, and for the entire year, from the end of 2022 to the end of 2023, GDP increased by 3.1%, up from less than 1% the previous year, and faster than the average for the five years preceding the pandemic. And there is little evidence that a recession will occur this year. Uh, Early projections indicate that growth will continue, uh, though at a slower rate in the first three months of 2024. Uh, So the layoffs remain low and the job market has been steady. And as inflation has cooled, uh, earnings are once again uh, rising faster than the prices. And after years of stagnation, uh, consumer sentiment is finally beginning to improve. Also, the fourth quarter numbers provided additional indication uh, that the recovery is on firm 
same footing. Uh, the consumer spending, which is the basis of the U.S. economy, increased at a 2.8% annual rate, only slightly less than the previous quarter. Uh, now, the housing sector, which suffered uh, from high interest rates in 2022 and early 2023, grew slightly from, uh, for the second quarter in a row. Uh, businesses increased their investment on equipment, and personal income rose faster than prices as a solid labor market continued to favor uh, employees. And perhaps most uh, significantly, inflation continued to cool. Uh, consumer prices climbed at a 1.7% annual rate in the final three months of the year, uh, falling short of the Fed's uh, long-run target of 2%. And compared to a year ago, prices were up 2.7%. Uh, uh, that isn't just excellent news for the people battered uh, by two years of fast rising prices. It also reduces the likelihood of a recession uh, by giving Fed policymakers greater leeway to cut interest rates to keep the recovery moving forward. Yeah, but the the, the, cut, the interest cuts aren't going to come, uh, and we've talked to an expert in regards to this. Uh, I think Jerome Powell even came out that the rate cuts aren't going to come out uh, until uh, I believe uh, the second half of 2024. And so we've talked to some experts as well, and they said the earliest that there's going to be any kind of cuts is probably June of uh, this year. So right at the start of the second half. Uh, but we'll see what happens because uh, even the ECB, I believe, uh, came out. They froze their rates, uh, but they also came out saying that uh, it's a bit too early to uh, cut rates just yet. Uh, the Bank of Korea has said it's too early to cut rates yet because although inflation is cooling, it is still uh, significantly higher than what it was uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, moving on, China's top, the top diplomat, Wang Yi, on Friday will be meeting U.S. National Security Security Advisor Jake Sullivan over in Bangkok, Thailand, as the two powers seek to improve relations after years of tensions. Uh, Hannah, let's get more on this. Sure. Now, Beijing and Washington have clashed in recent years on flashpoint issues from technology and trade to human rights, as well as over Taiwan and competing claims in the South China Sea. And in a bid to improve some of the worst relations in decades, President Joe Biden met with uh, Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping in San Francisco in November for talks that both sides describe as a qualified success. And this is the first time the two have met since last year's bilateral summit. The White House described the meeting as an extension of the agreement reached by U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping at their November summit last year to maintain strategic communication and responsibly managing their relationship. Sullivan and Wang have played a role in seeking breakthroughs in U.S.-China relations at every turn, including private meetings in Vienna, Austria, and Malta in May and September of last year, respectively. Now, during the meeting, the two are expected to exchange views on issues in bilateral relations, such as trade and the Taiwan issue, as well as international issues, including the recent Red Sea crisis the conflict between Israel and Hamas, and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, just kind of uh, going back to that uh, the, the summit between the two leaders uh, back in November last year in San Francisco, and there was a lot of anticipation, right? They were hoping that there was going to be some sort of breakthrough talks there, but it really wasn't, uh, even despite the fact that that sort of the that everyone was talking about the no one was talking about the apex summit basically everybody was talking about biden xi jinping meeting that was happening and that despite that there was no real tangible results but i guess you need that slow step right i mean they're still trying to uh, iron things out here and uh, go, go from uh, the top up not uh, top down 
uh, Bogota up here and uh, have other officials start discussing first. But most important thing here is that they continue dialogue here. Uh, let's move on over to uh, issues regarding to uh, the uh, Middle East because the UN's top court, the International Court of Justice, uh, could issue an emergency decision compelling Israel to seize its military operations over in the war-torn region of Gaza Strip. Uh, Sinyan, let's get more on this. Sure. The session of the International Court of Justice on Friday is part of a case brought by South Africa, which claims that Israel is committing a genocide. And both countries testified uh, when the case was opened two weeks ago. Uh, Israel has strongly denied uh, the allegations. And according to the Hamas-run health ministry in Gaza, more than 25,000 Palestinians, uh, mostly women and children, have been killed and tens of thousands were injured. And uh, South Africa, which firmly supports the Palestinians, requested that the court grant nine temporary measures, including a halt to Israeli military activities, while it investigates the claim of the genocide. Now, the total of 17 judges, including 15 permanent justices and one each from South Africa and Israel must answer two questions uh, when they rule on Friday. Uh, first, uh, whether South Africa has met the basic test to show that it claims uh, that its claim against Israel can be dealt with under the UN's 1948 Genocide Convention. So this convention defines what uh, constitutes a genocide. And uh, second, uh, whether there is a plausible risk of irreparable uh, harm uh, to the Palestinian people in Gaza if Israel's military action continues. Additionally, the judges are not restricted to South Africa's specific requests. Uh, the panel might simply advise uh, Israel to ensure that its actions are in accordance with international law and uh, that nothing is done to impede food, water, and medical deliveries. So the ICJ uh, can only provide advisory opinions and while its decisions and are theoretically legally binding they're not enforced by the court and if friday's ruling goes uh, against israel it'll almost certainly be ignored and uh, but it would however increase political pressure on israel to work toward a ceasefire as well as pressure on israel's strongest international allies to do what they can behind the scenes to find a solution and ensure humanitarian assistance reaches those in need. Yeah, unfortunately right now, though, uh, Israel isn't even listening to the United States, which is uh, often regarded as uh, probably their closest ally right now. And I was kind of looking into uh, what constitutes as a genocide. Uh, and it says, uh, one, killing members of a group, uh, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destructions in whole or in part, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. Now, this is the one, the argument that they're using on the Xinjiang Uyghurs, by the way, mm. uh, for our listeners out there, because there was some evidence in regards to this. Uh, and lastly, E, forcefully transferring children of the group to another group. Now, whether or not what uh, Israel has done over in Gaza constitute as a genocide, but the thing is, the ICJ did come out saying that they're not going to be discussing any issues regarding genocide. They're only going to be talking about uh, whether or not they are going to be putting in emergency measures in place to, uh, I guess, uh, stop 
the uh, the conflict right now in Gaza. But again, even with this, it's, it's, it's really tough because even some of the closest allies of Israel have come out saying that what Israel is doing is borderline uh, international crime and that they could be punished for this. But uh, it doesn't seem like uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is really listening to any of its allies right now and see what kind of decision uh, the International Court of Justice does come out with this. Guys, uh, thank you very much as always with your reports. Have a safe weekend and we'll see you guys again next week. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.